Osho, from misery to enlightenment, answers to the seekers of the path, given in Rajneeshpuram, Oregon, USA. Discourse number one. Bhagwan, seeing and hearing you speak, one thing continues to strike me. From your earliest childhood up until the latest split second, you have always had so much self-respect and so much self-delight. Are we all capable of so much? Man is not aware of what he is capable of unless he comes to realize it. It is just like a small young bird the bird sitting in the shelter the mother and the father have made watches them fly can see the delight of their flight would like himself also to fly in the same way, be on the wings in the infinite sky under the sun. Seeing them going higher, moving with the winds, A great urge arises in him also, but he is not aware that he is capable of the same flight, the same delight, the same dance. He is not even aware that he has wings. takes a little time for the mother and the father to persuade him. And they have a certain methodology to persuade him. The mother may sit just a little higher on another branch and give the call to the child. The child tries but is afraid. 
ही मे फॉल बट द मदर गोज ऑन कॉलिंग हिम दैट गिव्स हिम कॉन्फिडेंस Sometimes it is needed for the father to push him actually out of the shelter. There is fear. He is nervous. But one thing is certain: for the first time, he knows he has wings. he flutters his wings he does not know how to fly but the mother is not far away he manages to reach the miracle has happened now the mother's call will be coming from a secondary and then the call will be coming from a far off forest but once he knows that he has wings then distances don't matter isthuli there is no need for the mother to call or the father to push him one day comes when he simply says goodbye to father and mother and flies and never comes back he has become an individual on his own whatever you see in me feel in me is there in you but only as a potential nobody has called you from a distance and given you the confidence that you have the wings nobody has pushed you which of course in the beginning will look as if he is your enemy pushing you into death you will fall but unless you are pushed and you see that fluttering your wings you remain in the air you don't fall a great potential has become actual the first vision of your own flying now it is no more a dream 
you can realize it. This is the problem that man is not so alert as the birds are, that the child has to be made aware of its potentiality. Man's misfortune is this, that the father is not interested in the child's potentiality, he is interested in his own investment. He would like child to be part of his business, of his religion, of his politics, of his ideology. The mother is not interested in the child's development, because that's an unknown factor. It is not as simple as a bird. Man is a complex being, multidimensional. The child is capable of becoming so many things. The mother has her own investment. She would like the child to become someone in particular. Men's parents because of their own investment in business, politics, religion, philosophy, are less interested in the potential of the child. They are more interested how to mould the child that he fits in their world becomes respectable in their world, is not an outcast, is not an unfit. All this arises out of good intentions, but the result is not good. It is almost slaughtering the child, destroying, killing. Most of his potential will always remain potential. He will never be even aware what treasures he has brought with his life. and he will die, and those treasures will remain unopened.
he lived his whole life according to somebody else's dictates. He lived a borrowed life. He smiled because it was expected. He paid respect to people because that's what he was taught. He went to the church, to the synagogue, to the temple because his parents were going there, everybody else was going there. This was the thing to do. This was the in thing. With me, something went wrong from the very beginning. And the reason was that for seven years I was not with my parents. I lived with my maternal grandfather, and grandmother. Those two old persons had no investment. They simply loved me. They knew it perfectly well, sooner or later I will be gone. I was only a guest. You don't start investing on a guest. Tomorrow morning he may be gone. They acted out of a space which parents cannot do. That's where things went wrong with me. They allowed me total freedom to be myself because they had no desire to mold me. In fact, they wanted me to go back to my parents. So whatsoever my parents want me to become, I am available. My maternal grandfather actually said to me many times that our whole effort is that we can return you back to your parents. The same clean slate as they had given us. We don't want to write anything on you. 
who knows, it may be against your parents' wishes. You belong to them. To us you are a guest. All that we can do is give you freedom, our love, space to grow, The first seven years are the most important in life. Never again you will have that much opportunity. Those seven years decide your seventy years. All the foundation stones are laid in those seven years and by a strange coincidence I was saved from my parents. And by the time I reached them I was almost on my own. I was already flying. I knew I had wings. I knew that I don't need anybody's help to make me. I knew that the holy sky is mine. I never asked for their guidance. And if any guidance was given to me, I always retorted that this is insulting. Do you think I cannot manage it myself? I do understand that there is no bad intention in giving guidance. For that I am thankful. But you do not understand one thing. That I am capable to do it on my own. Just give me a chance to prove my mettle. Don't interfere. In those seven years I became really a strong individualist, hardcore. <laughs> now it was impossible to put any trip over me. I used to pass from my father's shop because the shop was in front, at the back was the house where the family lived.
That's how it happens in India. Houses and shops are together. So it is easily manageable. I used to pass from my father's shop with closed eyes. He asked me, this is strange. <laughs> Whenever you pass through the shop into the house or from the house, it was just twelve feet place to pass. You always keep your eyes closed, what you are practicing. I said, I am simply practicing that this sap is not going to destroy me as it has destroyed you. I don't want to see it at all. I am absolutely disinterested, so much disinterested. And it was one of the most beautiful cloth sops in that city. The best materials were available there. But I never looked to the sights. I will simply close my eyes and pass. He said, but opening your eyes, there is no harm. I said, one never knows. <laughs> One can be distracted. I don't want to be distracted by anything. Naturally he wanted I was his eldest son. He wanted me to help him. He wanted me that after my education I should come and take charge of the shop and the shop. He has managed and it has become a big place slowly, slowly. And he said, of course, who else is going to look after it? I will be getting old. Do you want me continuously to be? I said, no, I don't want you. You can get retired. You have your younger brothers who are interested in the shop. In fact, too much interested, are even afraid that you may give the shop to me. I have told them, you don't be afraid of me. I am no one's competitor. You give this shop to your younger brothers. But in India the tradition is the eldest son inherits everything. My father was the eldest son of his father. He inherited everything. All that he had now 
was for me to take care of it. Naturally, he was worried. But there was no way. He tried in every possible way. Somehow I get interested. He will talk to me that even if you become a doctor, you cannot earn as much in the whole month as I can earn in a day. If you become an engineer, what salary you are going to get? If you become a professor, I can hire your professors, there is no problem. And you know there are so many thousands of graduates, postgraduates, PhDs, unemployed. First he tried that I should not go to the university because he was very much afraid that that is making me for six years absolutely independent, going far away, then even he cannot keep an eye on me. He has already been regretting that for seven years he left me with my mother's parents. I told him, you don't be afraid, what has to happen has happened. I am really graduated those seven <laughs> years No university is needed to corrupt me. I am corrupted completely, out of your hands. And these persuasions, salaries, respect, money, I don't give any value to them. And I am not going to become a doctor or an engineer. So don't be worried. In fact, I am going to remain a Vagawan my whole <laughs> life. He said, that is even worse. <laughs> It is better you become an engineer, you become a doctor, <laughs> but vagabond, <laughs> that is a new profession. <laughs> you have got some mind to find such things, you want to become a vagabond. Even those who are vagabonds, 
feel humiliated if you say that you are a vagabond and you are telling to your own father that all your life you want to be just a vagabond. I said, that's what is going to be. Then he started saying, then why you want to go to the university? I said, I want to be an educated vagabond. <laughs> Not out of weakness. I don't want to do anything in my life out of weakness. Because I could not be anything, that's why I am a vagabond. That is not my way. First, I want to prove to the world that I can be anything that I want to be. Still, I choose to be a vagabond. Out of strength, then there is respectability even if you are a vagabond. Because respectability has nothing to do with your vacation, with your profession. Respectability has something to do when you act out of a strength, clarity, intelligence, So be perfectly aware that I am not going to the university to be able to find some good job. I am not born to do such stupid things. There are so many to do those things, but a very cultured, sophisticated, educated Bhagavan is very much needed, <laughs> because you don't see anybody around. Vagabonds are there, but they are just <laughs> third-grade people. They are failures. I want first to be absolutely successful and then take all that success and just be a vagabond. He said, I cannot understand your logic, but if you have decided to be a vagabond, I know that there is no way to change you. Those seven years, he reminded me again and again that 
that was our basic fault that was the time we could have managed to make you something of worth but your nana your nani those two old fellows <laughs> destroyed you completely and after my nana's death my nani never went back to the village she was so heartbroken i have seen thousands of couples very intimately because i have been staying with so many families wandering around india but i could never find anybody who could be compared with those two old people they really loved each other when my nana died my nani my maternal grandmother wanted to die with him it was a difficult task to prevent her she wanted to sit on the funeral pyre with her husband she said my life is gone now what is the point of being alive everybody tried and by that time this is an ancient tradition in india called sati and the word sati means the woman who dies sits on the funeral pyre alive with her husband the word sati means truthfulness sat means truth also being sati means who has a true being whose being is of truthfulness she has loved the person so deeply 
that she had become identified with his life, there is no point for her to live. But after the British Raj, the Sati tradition was declared illegal. To the Western eye it looked almost committing suicide. Literally it is so. And for almost 99% women who became satis, it was nothing but suicide. But for one percent, I cannot say it was suicide. For one percent to live without the person whom she had loved totally and never thought for a single moment to be separated, living was society. But La is blind and cannot make such fine distinctions. What Britishers saw was certainly ugly and has to be stopped. The one percent went on the funeral pyre on their own car. But it became such a respectable thing that any woman who was not willing to do it, and it was really a very dangerous, torturous, way of dying, just entering on the funeral pyre alive. Ninety-nine percent were not willing to do it, but their families, their relatives, they felt awkward because this means the woman never loved the man totally. And it will be a condemnation of the whole family. The honor of the family was at stake. So what these people did, they forced the woman and they certain 
climate was created in which you will not be able to find that the woman is being forced. She was, of course, in a terrible stage. in a great shock. She was taken to the funeral pyre, and on the funeral pyre so much ghee, purified butter was poured, that there was a cloud of a smoke all over the place. You could not see what is happening. And around that cloud there were hundreds of Brahmins chanting loudly Sanskrit sutras. Behind the Brahmins there was a big band with all kinds of instruments making as much noise as possible. So the woman is screaming, are crying, are trying to get out of the funeral pyre. It was impossible. Around the funeral pyre the Brahmins were standing with burning torches to push the woman back. When Britishers saw this, this was certainly not only suicide but murder too. In fact, it was murder. The woman was not willing. And the whole atmosphere was created that you cannot hear her screams, you cannot see that she is trying to escape. And everybody was out of these circles. When Britishers found out that this is something criminal and ugly, they made it illegal, and if any woman tries and is found and caught alive, she will be sentenced for her whole life. And anybody who persuades her, the family, the priests, the neighbors, they are also partners in the crime and they will also be punished accordingly, whatsoever part they have played in it. So the institution is slowly, slowly disappears. It had to disappear. But once in a while, that one percent woman was always there. For whom it didn't matter, because her life was now a sentence unto death. 
why not take the chance of finishing it with your loved one so they all tried my nani not to do it everybody but she said i have nothing to live for i cannot go back to my village because in that same house where we both lived our whole life for 60 years i cannot live alone he will be too much there i have not eaten a single meal before him it will be impossible for me to eat in the first place impossible to cook because i used to cook for him he loved delicious foods and i enjoyed cooking for him just to see him delighted was my delight now for whom i am going to cook and i have never taken my meal before him even if it was too late if he had gone to some other village for some work or to the court in a far away town i had to wait the whole day but it was a joy to wait for him in 60 years life i have not eaten a single meal before him that has been a tradition in india how can you eat unless the person you love and for whom you have cooked and prepared he has not eaten just the other day my mother was saying that i she told me that she wanted to tell me but could not gather courage to tell but today she wants to tell it because it is like a heavy weight on her heart i said you should have told before if just by telling me that weight disappears why you should keep it she said i felt so ashamed to mention it to you but i cannot bear it any more for the simple reason that if any day i die i will die with this heavy weight so better i should tell it and what was the matter the matter was nothing to the western eye
it is meaningless. The matter was this, that she had also never eaten before my father. But on the last day, when my father died, she used to come from the hospital in the night, and early morning she used to go back. She was just preparing tea. Before she goes to the hospital, just to take a cup of tea, and the phone came that my father is serious. So she, without drinking the tea, went to the hospital. And he was going up and down the whole day. So she completely forgot about eating. By the evening my father was better. I went to see him near about three. And he was as good as one can hope. And that was a dangerous signal, because it always happens before a man dies, he becomes absolutely okay. When death is coming, somehow the whole life flame gathers together to face the death as the last challenge. That's why before death people become almost cured. It is just like before a flame disappears from the candle. The last time before disappearing it burns really bright and with full vigor, with intensity. Life is almost a flame. Even scientifically too, it is a flame. That's why you need constant oxygen. Oxygen is needed by every flame. If you cover a candle with a glass, soon the candle will be gone. Because inside the glass there is only a little bit of oxygen. Once that oxygen is burned by the flame, the flame is finished. You need constant oxygen just to keep your flame burning. Scientifically also you are a flame, not only poetically. 
when I went to see him at three o'clock, he was perfectly cured. He was laughing, sitting, enjoying, and he said to me that now I am feeling perfectly good. And I think tomorrow I can come home. I could see what was going to happen. He was going home, but he was not coming home. So I tried to change the subject of home because it was difficult for me to say that, yes, tomorrow you are coming home. Because what I was seeing was that today he is going home. <laughs> but I said, that's perfectly okay. Why? Wait for tomorrow. If you are feeling good and there is no problem and the doctor allows, you can come today. And I tried to talk about mundane things. I told him that we have brought a new very big car for you. It has come and whenever you are ready, so you will be coming in your own new car. He was almost childlike as he went deeper and deeper into meditation. And he took sannyas only when he has touched the rock bottom of meditation, not before it. People take sannyas to enter into meditation, he waited. My mother took sannyas, my uncles took sannyas, but he waited and everybody was telling me, why you tell your father, my uncle was saying, my mother was saying. I said, he has never told anything to me, never forced me to do anything. This is now absolutely unfair on my part to tell him to do something and particularly sannyas, whenever he wants. He will say, I am not going to tell him. And I know he is waiting, because he was continuously reporting about his meditation to me, how it is going, what he experiences, for how many 
सेकेंड्स थॉट्स डिसअपियर एंड वट काइंड ऑफ थॉट्स कम वेन दे कम he was whenever he was coming to me he was mentioning about his meditation and that was a clear indication that he is waiting till he has touched the rock bottom he will not say anything about sanyas and he knows perfectly well that i am not going to say and one day morning he used to meditate from 3 o'clock in the night up to 6 3 hours so just near about 6 lakshmi came running and he said your father wants you immediately and he also says bring a mala and the sanyas form oh, i don't know what has happened to him he was sitting for 3 hours and he was staying in the room where afterwards lakshmi stayed in the lausu house in pune the same room he had just come for few days so lakshmi has moved and he was staying there i went there he said now the time has come you give me sanyas after that day he became more and more childlike interested into any small thing just like a child but that day when i mentioned that a very big car we have brought for you perhaps the biggest available in india and you can find the biggest cars in india because all over the world they have disappeared <laughs> and now you will not feel any discomfort any trouble but he took no notice of it that was another indication to me that he is feeling something i left him after 10 minutes and i told him that i will inquire the doctor if you are cured then why wait for tomorrow today you come home 
when my mother saw him perfectly well and he said that he wants to go out and sit in the veranda and just see the outside world after my leaving they took him out at that time my mother felt that she had not eaten the whole day and she felt so hungry that she told sohan or somebody who was there that i am feeling very hungry almost my stomach is hurting he asked my father that sohan is coming soon with the food so you eat first my stomach is hurting but my father said i am not feeling like eating i am feeling so good that i don't want to disturb my body by anything i simply want to sit and look at the sky you don't be worried you go and eat and she was so hungry that she ate before my father and this weight she has been carrying that the whole life she never ate before my father and on the last day she ate before him and as she had finished my father came in she brought his food he took one bite and said my body doesn't feel to take anything and within half an hour he was gone he came home that night he came home in his car that lakshmi has been trying to bring but my mother just said the other day that relieve me of this pain because this hurts that last day i completely forgot that he has to eat first i said perhaps he could see better that now you will be eating alone it will not be possible any more to give him food first and then eat 
So just out of compassion he told you, you eat, don't be worried, there is nothing in it, who eats first and who eats later, it is all the same. My feeling is, he was also feeling that there is not much time left. And then you will have to eat afterwards without giving food to him. He must have been happy to see that you had eaten, that you will not be in the same position as my mother's mother was, for almost ten, twelve days she didn't eat. First it was difficult to prevent her from going into the funeral. Finally they all, my whole family told me that only you can persuade her. You have been with her for seven years. And certainly I succeeded. All that I had to do, I said to him, her that you are saying constantly that for what I have to live, not for me. You just tell me. You don't want to live for me? Then I will tell the whole family that we both are going in the funeral. She said, what? <laughs> I said, then what I am going to hear? For what? It is good we both go. She said, stop this nonsense, because who has ever heard? I said, boy, I have seven years old. It is not for you, it is for a woman whose husband has died. I said, your husband has died, my nana has died, and my nani is going to die. It is enough reason for me. And anyway, any day, I will have to die. So why wait so long? Finish it quickly. She said, I know you are mischievous. Even your nana is dead, but you are playing the trick on me. I said, then stop harassing the whole family, otherwise I am coming with you. She agreed that she won't go to the funeral, she will live for me. She stayed 
in my father's town. But she was a very independent woman. She did not like the big joint family, my father's brothers, their wives, their children. It was a huge caravan. She said, this is not the place for me. I have lived whole my life with my husband in silence. Only for seven years you have been there. Otherwise there has not been much conversation either because there was nothing to talk. We had talked all those things before. So there was nothing to talk, just to sit silently. And it was a beautiful place where they lived facing a very big lake. So they will sit looking at the lake and the water birds flying, coming in thousands in certain seasons. She said, I would like to live alone. So a house was found for her near the river where she will have some similarity. In this town we had no lake, but we had a beautiful river. The whole day I was in the school or roaming around the town or doing thousand and one things. Night I always stayed with my Nani. She many times asked that your parents may feel bad. We took you from them for seven years for which they cannot forgive us. We thought that we should return you as clean as we have got you, not trying to impose anything on you. But they are angry, they don't say, but we can feel and we hear it from other people that we have spoiled you. And now you don't go to sleep with your father and mother and your family. You come here every night. They will think that the spiling is continuing. The old man is gone, but the old woman is still here.
But I said to her, If I don't come, can you really sleep? For whom you prepare the second bed every night before I come? Because I have not told that tomorrow I will be coming. About tomorrow, from the very beginning I have been uncertain, because who knows what will happen tomorrow. Why do you prepare the second bed? Not only the second bed, because I had a long habit with Devaraj has to somehow manage to finish it. It took almost two, three years for him. I had from my very childhood as long as I remember. Before going to bed, I will need sweets Otherwise, I cannot sleep. <laughs> so she was not only preparing my bed, she used to go out and buy sweets, the sweets that I like, and she will keep the sweets by my bed that I can eat and even in the middle of the night I feel again I can eat enough she will put that if you eat whole night there is no problem for whom you bring these sweets you don't eat since Nana died you have not tasted sweets because he loved sweets in fact it seems he gave me this idea of sweets. He also used to eat before to going to sleep. That is not done in any Jana family. Janas don't eat in the night. They don't even drink water or milk or anything. But he lived in a village where he was the only Jana. <laughs> there was no problem. And perhaps it is from him that I must have got the <laughs> habit. I don't remember even how I started it. It must have been he eating and calling me also to join. And I must have joined and by and by it became a routine thing. Seven years he trained me. <laughs> I could not go to my house for two reasons. One reason was those sweets. <laughs> because in my own mother's place it was not possible. And there were so many children that if you allow one child then all the children will ask. And anyway it is against the religion Simply, 
you cannot even ask. But my difficulty was this, I could not go to sleep without it. Secondly, I felt my nanny must be feeling alone. And here there is no problem. Here it is difficult to be alone. <laughs> so many people, it is always a marketplace. Nobody will be missing me if I am not there, and nobody ever missed. Just they made it certain that I am sleeping with my nanny, then there was no problem. So even after those seven years, I was not under the influence of my parents. It is just accidental. From the very beginning I was on my own. Doing right or wrong, that was not the important thing, but doing on my own. And slowly, slowly, that became my style of life, about everything. For example, about clothes, in my town, I was the only non-Mohamdan dressed like a Mohamdan. <laughs> My father said, you can do anything, but at least don't do this, because I have to live in the society, I have to think of other children, and from where you got this idea? Mohammedans in my town used, instead of dhoti that Indians use, a certain kind of pajama that is called salwar. that is used by Pakhtuns in Afghanistan, Pakhtunistan, those far away places near the Himalayas, beyond the Himalayas. But it is a beautiful pajama. And made not miserly like a pajama. It has so many folds. To have a real salwar means you can make at least ten pajamas out of one salwar. So many folds, and those folds give it 
its beauty. When they all become gathered and Elam Pakhtun Kurta, not an Indian Kurta, the Indian Kurta is Sarj. His sleeves are not very loose. The Pakhtun Kurta, his sleeves are very loose and the Kurta is very long, goes below the knees. And I had got a Turkish cap My father used to tell me, you anyway enter the shop with closed eyes and with closed eyes you go out. Why don't you use the back door? <laughs> because you can come from the back door, you can go from the back door, you can have the key to yourself because nobody uses the back door. At least we will be saved the trouble to answer every customer, who is this momden going inside with closed eyes? And you get these strange ideas. We have a cloth shop, all kinds of glass are there, ready-made glass are there. You can have any style, but Mohamedan? <laughs> In India, Mohamedan is the worst thing. I said, that's why. Because you all people think that the Mohammedan is the worst thing. I am protesting against you all that the dress of the Mohammedans is the best. And you can see it. Wherever I go, only I am noticed. Nobody else is noticed. In the classroom I reach and I am noticed. Anywhere I go, I am immediately noticed. And the way I was using that dress, it is really graceful dress, and with a Turkish cap. The Turkish cap is long and has a bunch of hairs hanging <laughs> by the sides. Very rich Turkish people use it. And I was so small, but that dress helped me many ways. 
I may go to meet the collectors and the men, the pune, guarding on the gate will just look at me <laughs> and will tell me, come on, seeing that this, he would not have allowed me a small boy, but with this dress, he must be a sikh or somebody very important. And even the collector will stand up <laughs> seeing my dress. Sikh is used for very respectable people and he will say, Sikhji, bet here. Sikhji, please sit down. And I told my father that this dress helps me in so many ways. Just the other day I went to see a minister and he also thought that I am some Sikh belonging to some rich Arabian family or Persian family. And you want me to drop this dress and just use a dhoti and kurta which nobody is going to notice. I continued that dress up to my matriculation. They tried hard. The harder they tried, the more. I said, if you stop trying, perhaps I may drop it. Till you continue to try, I am the last person to drop it. One day my father took all my salwars and my kurtas and my three Turkish caps in a bundle and went into the go-down basement put there somewhere where many kinds of things were there, broken, useless. I could not find anything. When I came out of the bathroom, I simply went naked <laughs> with my closed eyes <laughs> in the shop. Going out, my father said, wait. Just come in. Take your clothes. I said, you bring them wherever they are. He said, you... I have never thought of this. I thought you will look around, you will search the clothes, you will not find because I have put them in such a place you won't find. Then naturally you will wear the normal clothes that 
you are supposed to wear this I have never thought that this will be your action I said I take direct action I don't believe into unnecessary and even didn't ask anybody where my clothes are why should I ask my nakedness will serve the same purpose He said, you have your clothes and nobody is going to bother you about your clothes, but please don't start walking naked because that will create more trouble. That a cloth merchant's son <laughs> has no clothes so dear. You are notorious, you will make us notorious also with you. That look at the poor child, everybody will think that we are not giving you clothes. Since they had stopped by the time I passed matriculation, I dropped that dress. As I left the town, I changed my dress to be more suiting to my college life. I had found that in my college where I took first entry the cap was compulsory you could not come without a cap that was a great idea <laughs> you have to come very properly properly dressed shoes buttons closed with a cap I went there with no buttons <laughs> with no cap with my wooden sandals <laughs> And immediately I became a celebrity. <laughs> the principal immediately called me. He said, what is this? I said, this is just a way to get introduced to you. <laughs> Otherwise it may take years who bothers about a first-year student? I said, you have some idea behind it, but it is not allowed. You will have to wear a cap and buttons have to be closed. I said, you will have to prove me 
what are the scientific grounds for wearing a cap? Does it help in any way to increase your intelligence? <laughs> then I can even use a turban. <laughs> Why cap? If it increases your brains. But the fact is that the most idiots in India are in Punjab. <laughs> they use turban. Tightly. Perhaps they are the only people in the whole world who use the turban so tightly, completely their mind is <laughs> imprisoned, finished. And the most intelligent people in India are Bengalis who don't use caps. I said, you just tell me. What are the big fundamental scientific reasons that I have to wear cap? He said, this is strange. Nobody ever asks fundamental scientific reasons about cap. This is simply our convention in this college. I said, I don't bother about convention. If the convention is unscientific and destroys people's intelligence, I am the first to rebel against it and soon you will see caps disappearing from the college because I am going to tell them that, look, Bengal has the best <laughs> intelligence. They don't use caps. In India, two Nobel Prizes have gone to Bengal, to Punjab. I don't think ever in the future there is going to be any single Nobel Prize. I am going to spread this movement if you keep silent and allow me the way I am. I don't create nuisance. Otherwise, there will be a movement you will see, bonfire caps burning <laughs> in front of your office. He said, he looked at me and he said, okay, don't create any nuisance. You just go on, but I will be in trouble because sooner or later others are going to ask that why you allowed him. I said, the fact is that if you are an honest man, you should stop wearing the cap yourself because you don't have any scientific grounds for it. Otherwise, whosoever comes, tell him to find scientific fundamental reasons that in any way it helps intelligence. The college is meant to help people's intelligence 
it should be sharpened in what way the cap helps it imprisons but he said at least buttons i said i don't like i like the air going directly to my chest i enjoy it i don't like the buttons and there is no where in your college codius cap is mentioned so for cap i need scientific reasons nowhere it is mentioned that you have to have buttons because nobody has ever thought that people will come to college without buttons and i said you can see i don't have even the holes for the buttons i won the first prize in my first year and in an inter university in debate competition and this principal was very happy he said i knew that you will win because <laughs> you find out proofs reasons which nobody even suspects but now a problem is we need your photograph with the trophy and everything and it is going to be published so buttons cap i cannot say anything about it leave it but buttons without buttons the picture will be going to all the newspapers i said then you can stand in my place <laughs> with buttons proper dress and cap i'm not interested and when i was debating i had no buttons i have won the trophy without buttons <laughs> and the photo has to go without the buttons otherwise you are not being fair you should have told me there that without buttons you cannot participate in the debate you had chosen me to participate out of all the candidates from the college that time also i had no buttons i participated in the debate i won the competition now the trophy is there if you cannot stand because everybody will recognize that you are the principal then just hang your coat with the buttons by the side of it i have no interest in it but if i am going to stand then i am going to stand the way i am even with the buttons it is not the same person
he was sagged but he agreed that that is true even without buttons it is not the same person the personality consists of very small things just a slight change i said just think he had good mustache that we save your mustache and tell you to stand because <laughs> the photo is going to be printed will you be willing to be he said but that would not be like me i said exactly with buttons it would not be me it went on i never missed a single opportunity to sharpen my intelligence i turned every possible opportunity into sharpening my intelligence individuality you can understand now looking at the whole picture fragments the people who had to come in my contact of course were unable to understand that what kind of man i am crazy nuts but i was going very methodically each fragment may not give you the idea because it is out of context but if you put it in the whole context i was being expelled from one college another college but i was enjoying it and that's what was sucking to them when i was expelled from one college my first college the same principal had to expel me felt very sorry because it was not right to expel me and why and why he had come to have a certain liking for me for my absolute determination to be myself whatsoever the cost he had grown by and by a certain respect that this man can sacrifice anything even for buttons just for the cap he tried to persuade me that if you wear cap i guarantee you that you will get the first class first in intermediate examination because it is in my hands i 
said, I would like to be failed. But cap I am not going to use. I am ready for the consequence. It is in your hands. You fail me. But before he could fail or pass me, he had to expel me because one professor insisted he will resign or I have to be expelled. He felt sorry because the professor was just being illogical. And strangely he was the professor of logic. <laughs> and he was being absolutely illogical because all his complaint was that I continuously argue. And I told him that the class of logic is meant to argue. We have come to learn logic, not to sit there like dodos. <laughs> and that old fellow goes on saying anything absurd. I cannot tolerate if anything illogical is said in logic class. I am going to fight, I am going to stand for logic. It is a question of defending logic and its reputation. Just for an ordinary professor, I cannot tolerate any illogical thing. And this is absolutely illogical. He gives no reason why I should be expelled, what crime I have committed. Just he says, I argue. But is argument a crime? And ask him whether he has been able to answer my argument. Is it my argument that hurts him or because he cannot answer it that hurts him? He said, I can understand and I feel sorry for you. I said, never feel sorry for me because I enjoy being expelled. This is creditable. and expelled for no reason at all. Expelled for being right. I feel proud. Don't feel sorry for me. I feel sorry for you all, that none of you have guts. You are the principal of the college and you don't have guts. And remember that life is a very strange phenomenon. Today you are in a position of power. Tomorrow I may be in a position of power. He said, what do you mean? I said, I don't mean anything. I simply <laughs> saying that one day it is possible you may be in trouble and only I can save you. He said, that is almost impossible. What trouble I can be in? 
you don't try to confuse me. He was already becoming afraid. And what trouble and what power, what he is talking, I said, one day, God willing, we will see. And strangely it happens that after ten years of that incident, I became professor and one of the colleges near Gwalior was opened by a Jena family. The family donated all the money, all that the college needed. And they were in very much love with me. So they put me on their managing committee. This principal, I had completely forgotten about him. Ten years is a long time, and in ten years' time I have been expelled so many times, <laughs> and so many principals and vice-chancellors, and I have been fighting and fighting. But it went on helping me to become more and more solid, confidence. This professor, this principal, had lost his job. It was a private college. The managing committee decided to throw him out. He applied for this new college. I had no idea. I was on the committee to interview principals, professors for the college. When he came up, his name was Principal Paranjpe. When he came up and saw me, sitting in the place of the chairman of the managing committee, he started trembling. I said, Principal Paranjpe, don't be afraid. No, he said, forgive me. What I did with you was absolutely unfair and wrong. Please forget about it. I said, there is no question. I cannot forget it. I am going to reward you for it. You are chosen for the principal, for this college, because you had expelled me. Now, I cannot, in any case, not choose you, because that will be simply, in your mind, 
a revenge. Although you are not the best candidate, there are more qualified people than you. But I have to choose you. And do you remember I had said to you that one day things can be just upside down? That day you were sitting in the chair and I was standing in front of you. Today I am sitting in the chair and you are standing in front of me. Life is a very strange drama. But I appoint you to be the principal of this college only because you had expelled me. How can I forget it? Forgive? That is perfectly okay. I have forgiven you long before because no harm has been done to me. But forget? That I cannot do. If I forget it, you will not be appointed. Now tell me, <laughs> should I forget it? then you cannot be appointed. There are far better candidates, you can see. This is the list. There are PhDs, there are DLITs. You are only double MA. Your qualifications are not... Your only qualification is that I remember that you had expelled me without any reason. Now, being the principal of this college, don't do any idiotic thing like that. He could not believe. Where I was staying, in the family who has made this college, evening he came to see me. He had tears in his eyes. He said, I cannot believe. I was certain that I am finished seeing you there. I had lost all hope and I had been out of job for one and a half years. I am in terrible state. You saved me. And knowing perfectly well that I have been unfair to you, I said, you forget about it. That is your problem, to be fair or to be unfair. But it helped me immensely. If you had not expelled me, I would not have found a better college, a better principal, <laughs> better professors. I am really thankful to you. And actually that was the thing. Because of his expulsion, I have found a better college.
But from there also I was expelled and finally I had to leave Jabalpur because no college was ready to give me admission. But that was also a great blessing. In my whole life looking backwards, I find that if you are just a little alert, everything turns into a blessing. I don't remember anything in my whole life which turned out to be a curse. All nights have proved to be beginnings of a brighter day. When all the colleges refuses, refused me, I was living with one of my father's sister who was married in Jabalpur. She started crying, her husband was in tears, and they said that we have been telling you why you unnecessarily get into trouble. And it is not one college in four years, how many colleges have been? And you again do something. And it surprises us that whatever you do, you are righteous about it. And in fact, we cannot say that you are wrong. You are right too. We have never seen such a thing happening to any student who is right always and is expelled. If you are wrong and expelled, it is understandable. I said, this is the beauty in my case. I am never wrong. But in this whole wrong society, to be right is to be wrong. Here wrong is acceptable. Right is not acceptable. Hence I don't feel that it is any insult These are all certificates for my character. And that's how it turned out to be. I moved to another city, Sagar, and gave all my certificates of expulsion. <laughs> to the Vice-Chancellor of the University, he said, but why you are telling me all these terrible things? I said, I am telling you, these are my character certificates <laughs> and I don't want to keep you in dark. First you should know about me, only then give me admission. Otherwise, it is safer not to give admission, rather than expel me later on, because then it will be your responsibility.
and you will be condemned for it because I always do the right thing perhaps at the right moment the right thing done rightly is too much <laughs> and the people who have been doing continuously wrong things freak out so I am telling you my character certificates he said you are a strange young man but I cannot refuse you because who will give such character certificates and I am the last to think of expelling you because each time you are right I am not going to deny you admission he gave me admission not only admission he gave me scholarships he gave me free food lodging boarding everything free he said you should be given all the respect because so much injustice has been done to you I told him that one thing you should remember you are doing all these things so compassionate of you but if sometimes a problem arises then I am going to give you tough time <laughs> I will not think of your favors that you must keep in your mind I cannot be bribed he said no I am not bribing you these are not bribes I really am impressed and he was the only person who did not expel me for two years continuously <laughs> and those two years were the hardest for my professors because those were my last years postgraduate two years so many complaints but that man Dr. Tirpati he was a very great historian he was a professor in Oxford of history and from there when he retired he became vice chancellor of Southern University he kept his word he simply went on throwing all complaints into the waste paper basket although every day when I used to go for a morning walk passing his house he will tell me that so many complaints had come yesterday they are all in the waste paper basket <laughs> 
and he was so happy that he has been able to keep his word against all odds it was really difficult for him from his students from superintendents from the proctor from professors but he went on inquiring that was he wrong or right one professor was delivering a lecture he said in his lecture it was the anniversary celebrations of the founder of the university he said that there was a time when india was known as a golden bird it was so rich and so religious that there was no need to lock your doors locks were not invented even i stood up and asked him that if this is true that people were not keeping locks on their houses because there was no question of anybody stealing of thieves of criminals then why gautam buddha continuously goes on teaching people don't steal don't be a thief do you think you are saner than gautam buddha mahavira continues all the teachers from the vedas if there was no stealing happening then these people seem to be utterly mad 40 years buddha teaches against stealing to whom i said you take your statement back i can accept the idea that locks were not invented that may be the reason why people were not locking second reason there was nothing to be stolen people were so poor and poverty has existed since the days of rigvedas 
it is mentioned in every scripture so the only explanation is that poor were people were poor so poor that what you can steal they had nothing moreover to invent locks some kind of technology is needed they just don't grow on trees the technology was missing of course the rich people had no need of locks because they had naked souls guarding their palaces and houses but guarding against whom there must have been poverty just by the other side of the road he complained there he said okay i don't want to make this celebration a place of argumentation or discussion i take my statement back i said you are not taking it back you are just trying to save your face but okay <laughs> this will do he complained that this man insulted me before the whole university by chance when he was complaining i went to see the vice chancellor for some other reason i was the prefect of the hostels and the superintendent of the hostels was continuously issuing orders of course they had to pass through me if i found they were not right i threw them away if they were right then i pasted them on the board he was very angry he told me that this is not within your power to throw my orders i said you prove that it is not within my power so i had gone just to explain the whole thing that the superintendent will be coming this is the situation he issues stupid orders now i am not that stupid to put those orders on the board of the hostel so either you accept my resignation as a prefect or when he comes make it clear to him that these orders are stupid and the prefect is doing right for example one order was that exactly at 9 all the lights should be off i said this is nonsense 
I read up to three o'clock in the night. And I have come to the university to study as much as possible. I am not doing any harm to anybody. And I am not going to put my light at nine o'clock off. It will be put off at three o'clock. He can put his light nine o'clock or eight o'clock or whenever he wants. He should put them off forever. <laughs> I have no problem. And no student has reported that he has any trouble because all the students have their own times and their freedom. Somebody studies up to ten, somebody studies up to twelve, somebody goes early, gets up early, starts three o'clock reading, when I am going to sleep, he is going to start reading and put his light on. Now this is nonsense. You are trying to control even our sleep. In the day you control us what to do, how to do, where to go, where not to go. Even in the night soon you will be starting controlling our dreams. That why you dreamt of this? And I told him that you are a man of history, you must be knowing one emperor of Egypt had issued an order, and this is a historical fact, a pharaoh issued the order to the whole kingdom that nobody should enter into my dreams. If anybody tries, he will be sentenced to death. Naturally, nobody should interfere into his sleep. Now, this was a troublesome thing. One of his courtiers appeared the next night into his dream. Immediately he was caught. He tried hard to explain that I had not gone out of my house. <laughs> he said, that is not the point. Why you appeared in my dream? Who are you to disturb my sleep? Now, it is your dream, your imagination. That poor fellow has nothing to do with he has not even thought about you. But he was given punishment because he was part of the court. Of course, he was not given death sentence, but few years imprisonment. I said to Dr. Tripathi, you must remember that now, this man soon will start ordering that you have to dream this, you have to dream that, and you should dream only up to this point, then all dreams stop. I cannot put this kind of nonsense. Students are free, and there is no trouble, there is no problem. Nobody is disturbing anybody. 
So I had gone to tell him this, that soon there is going to be a trouble and fight between me and the superintendent. Either you will have to change me or the superintendent. Both cannot coexist. And if you remember your word, you have to change the superintendent because he cannot prove that he is right. That very time he said that, you see this other professor is sitting here. He says you disturbed his meeting. I asked the professor that you had taken your statement back and I had told you, you have not taken it back. If you had taken it back, why you are here complaining? If you had not taken it back, you should be courageous to argue. I cannot sit there just listening stupid things. It is insulting to the university. I was not disturbing the meeting, you had started disturbance. I was trying to put it right. And the Vice Chancellor said, now you prove. Because this is my promise to him that if he is proved wrong then only any action can be taken against him. But everything helped me. The more I went into conflicts with people of intelligence, education, culture, sharpness, I found it immensely helpful, not the textbooks, not the class lectures, but What I used to call, they don't call it, extra-colicular activities. <laughs> I used to call my activities extra-curricular, but they are really pay. When I entered the first day, into the university's philosophy class. I met Dr. Saxena for the first time. Only few professors I had really great love and respect. These two were my most loved professors, Dr. S. K. Saxena and Dr. S.S. Rai. And for the simple reason that they never treated me like a student. 
when I enter in Dr. Saxena's class first day with my wooden sandals, he looked a little puzzled, looked at my sandals and asked me why you are using wooden sandals. They make so much noise. I said, just to keep my consciousness alert. He said, consciousness? Are you trying to keep your consciousness alert in other ways too? I said, 24 hours I am trying that in every possible way. Walking, sitting, eating, even sleeping and you may believe, you may not believe that just lately I have succeeded even in sleep to be aware and alert. He said, the class is dismissed and you just come with me to the office. The whole class thought I have created trouble for myself the first day. He took me into his office took out from the Self his thesis for doctorate that he has written thirty years before. It was on consciousness. And he said, you take it, it has been published in English. So many people in India have asked to translate it into Hindi. Great scholars, knowing both languages, English and Hindi, perfectly well, but I have not allowed anybody, because the question is not whether you know the language well or not, I was looking for a man who knows what consciousness is. And I can see in your eyes, on your face, the way you answered, you have to translate this book. I said, this is difficult because I don't know English much. I don't know Hindi much either. Hindi is my mother tongue. But I know only that much as everybody knows his mother tongue. 
and I believe in the definition of the mother tongue. Why every language is called mother tongue? Because the mother speaks and the father listens. <laughs> and that's how the children learn. And that's how I have learned. My father is a silent man. My mother speaks and he listens. And I learned the language. It is just a mother tongue. I don't know much. Hindi has never been my subject of study. English, I know just a little bit. And that is enough for your so-called examinations. But for translating a book, which is a PhD thesis, and you are giving it to a student, he said, you don't be worried. I know you will be able to do it. I said, if you trust, I will do my best. But one thing I must tell you, that if I find something wrong in it, then I am going to make an editorial note underneath, giving, putting a star on it that this is wrong. And how it should be. If I find something missing, I am going to put a star again and a footnote that something is missing. And this is the part that is missing. He said, I agree to that. I know there are many things missing in it. But you surprise me, you have not even seen the book. You have not even opened it. How do you know that things will be missing in it? I said, looking at you, the way you can see looking at me, that I am the right person to translate it. I can see perfectly, Dr. Saxena, you are not the right person to write it. <laughs> and he loved it so much <laughs> that he told it to everybody. <laughs> the whole university knew about it, this dialogue that has happened <laughs> between me and him. In the coming two months, summer, vacations, I translated the book and I had those editorial notes and when I showed him there were tears in his eyes with joy. He said, I was knowing perfectly well that something is missing here.
but I could not figure it out because I have never practiced it. I was just trying to collect all information about consciousness in Eastern scriptures. And I had collected a lot and then out of that I started sorting out. It took me almost seven years to finish my thesis. He had done really a great scholarly job, but only scholarly. I said, it is scholarly, but it is not that of a meditator. And I have made all these notes that this can be written only by a scholar, not by a meditator. And he looked at all those pages and he said to me that if you had been one of my examiners for the thesis, I was not going to get the doctorate. And you have found exactly the right places where I was suspicious. But those fools who examined it, they were not suspicious. It has been praised very much. He was a professor in America for many years, and his book is really a monumental work of his scholarship. But nobody has criticized him, nobody has pointed. So I told him, now what you are going to do with the translation? He said, I cannot publish it. I have found a translator, but you are more an examiner than a translator. I will keep it. but I cannot publish it. It will destroy my whole reputation with your notes and with your editorial commentaries. But I agree with you. In fact, he said if it was in my power I would have given you a doctorate just for your editorial notes, footnotes, because you have found exactly the places which only a meditator can find. A non-meditator has no way to find it. So my whole life from the very beginning has been concerned with two things never to be allowed any unintelligent thing to be imposed upon me. Fight against all kinds of stupidities, whatsoever the consequence. Be rational, logical to the very end. 
this was one side that I was working with all those people I was in contact and the other was absolutely private, my own to become more and more alert so that I don't end up just being an intellectual Intellect and meditation meeting together growing together give you the wholeness of being There have been meditators who had not very grown up intellect They enjoyed their meditation, they were fulfilled, but they were incapable to convey the message to anyone. Because for that a very sharp intelligence is needed. Because you will have to cut the whole jungle of the other person's mind. you will have to make path in the jungle of thoughts you will need really a sharp sword-like intelligence but if you just create the path that is not the purpose path is meaningless unless there is the traveler intellect can make the path but meditation travels on it. You ask me, is that the same potential of all? Yes, absolutely yes. It is everybody's birthright. Just you have never tried it. You have wings, nobody has pushed you, you have not taken the jump on your own, you are still sitting in the shelter and the holy sky is yours, but you are not claiming it. My function here is to drag you out of your shelter. Whatever is needed to do it, I am ready to do it. If you need a push, good. If you need a hit, good. I am ready to do anything to give you just a little experience that you have wings and my work is finished. If you can just flutter from one tree to another, you have got the golden secret in your hands.
عصبی تر.